Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and showing up. Uh, tonight we will begin our discussion of the Paramatma Sandarbha by reviewing uh, in brief what we've covered up to now and then discussing in an introductory fashion what's going to be presented in the Paramatma Sandarbha. So, of course, we started with the Tattva Sandarbha, Tattva Sandarbha dealing with the uh, epistemology, the nature of being, the establishment of the Srimad Bhagavatam as the primary praman for uh, those seeking the highest understanding of the Supreme Absolute Truth. Now the entire Sandarbhas deal with Sambandagyan, the significant reality and its nature. And we have, it proceeds on to uh, Abhideya, the application of practices whereby one can advance from illusion into reality and concluding with Prayojan, a glimpse into the ultimate objective uh, to be attained by a spiritual practice or by turning entirely one's consciousness from the material realm, the sensual realm of existence to that of the, the fully conscious realm of existence. So in the beginning Sandarbha, Tattva Sandarbha, Srila Jiva Goswami, he analyzed the Samadhi of Srila Vyasadeva, wherein Srila Vyasadeva uh, actually had an experience of Sri Krishna. And he also saw in relationship to the Supreme Lord his external energy, Maya, uh, the Jivas, his marginal potency, and a remedy to the cure for those jivas who have turned their attention towards the material energy for enjoyment. So bhakti was of course the result, resulting significance of his samadhi that he needed to introduce bhakti into his presentation of the Vedic knowledge to humanity at large. And this is the primary knowledge uh, to be had. Now the Tatmas and Dharva is primarily based upon two shlokas from the Srimad Bhagavatam. The first shloka that it was it's based on is uh, the second sloka of the book itself. I'll read the English. Uh, the Supreme Lord becomes immediately captured in the heart of the accomplished devotee by hearing the Bhagavatam, and even by those who have suddenly developed a desire to hear it. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is that potent <coughs> that it immediately captures the heart of, a, of an experienced devotee, and it also, it captures the heart 
through the potency of the literature itself, even if one only desires to enter into knowledge of what's contained in the Bhagavatam. The sloka continues, this does not happen with other works. In the Bhagavatam alone, created by the Lord himself, is presented the real, permanent object which can be understood by those without selfish intentions, and which bestows auspiciousness and release from the material world of miseries. In the Bhagavatam alone is presented the process for attaining that highest object, devoid of all material goals and liberation. And further, in the Tattvasandarbha, he had a complete and comprehensive discourse of the Vedanti Tattvavidas um, verse from the Bhagavatam second canto. Um, the knowers of truth call this truth Advaya Jnanam, the supreme conscious being, who is called Brahman by the Jnanis, Paramatma by the yogis, and Bhagavan by the devotees. So this non-dual consciousness, Jnanamadvayam, uh, is referred to by these three nomenclatures. And Srila Goswami's Sandarbhas deal with these nomenclatures comprehensively, uh, specifically in the first four Sandarbhas, which are dedicated to Sambandagyan, uh, the fifth Sandarbha. So those Sandarbhas, of course, are the Tattva, the Bhagavat Sandarbha, the Paramatma Sandarbha, and the Krishna Sandarbha. So we're beginning our, our discourse now and our study of the third of those Sandarbhas, the Paramatma Sandarbha. Then his fifth Sandarbha is the uh, Bhakti Sandarbha, which delineates the methodology by which one can fully turn their consciousness inward towards the Supreme. Um, and then his whole treatise concludes with the Preeti Sandarbha, which deals with the Prayojan or the goal of one's spiritual practice. So this was covered in the Tattva Sandarbha a lot, along with a lot of other information. Uh, and then he went on to deliver his Bhagavat Sandarbha, Sri Jiva. Um, so he demonstrates in the, in the Bhagavan, demonstrates that Bhagavan, the transcendent absolute, replete with personhood, qualities, form, and action, is the most complete manifestation of absolute reality. So he did a pretty comprehensive job of that in the Bhagavat Sandarbha. Uh, while acknowledging that Brahman and Paramatma are partial manifestations of that supreme absolute truth. And these manifestations, of course, come about, these revelations or realizations of these different aspects of that one non-dual absolute truth come about according to the um, the nature of the spiritual seeker. 
So according to your proclivity, whether you're willing to go the full way to understanding the Supreme Lord in his most intimate form, or if you're satisfied with just understanding the nature of your self in relationship to the supreme energy or energetic source for your being, or if you're satisfied with understanding the personal aspect of the supreme as manifest within the material realm and perfecting your vision of that aspect of the supreme, the Paramatma aspect. So it's all according to the to the consciousness of the spiritual seeker. So Bhagavan, of course, is that concept which is available to the devotional transcendentalists. Uh, Paramatma is available to the yogis. Um, and it's a partial manifestation of Bhagavan uh, who, anim- who animates the material realm, Prakriti, uh, and regulates the cosmos. And we'll see in the introduction how Jiva is going to deal with a comprehensive explanation of exactly what Paramatma's features, uh, functions are and and potencies are in relation to uh, the cosmos. And the cosmos is going to be viewed in different aspects of of its presentation. Uh, And then the unqualified absolute brahman it's the uh it's it it becomes the goal of the jnani uh, and it's a manifestation of the supreme which is devoid of any intrinsic qualities uh, potencies or form it's still a manifestation of the energy of the supreme but it's no quality no form no shaktis uh, so the Bhagavan conception, of course, is is inclusive of the other two conceptions of the absolute truth. So Bhagavan has real potencies inherent to his nature, which fall into three categories. Uh, Antaranga, or the Sarup Shakti, uh, his intrinsic potency, uh, his intermediary's potency, the Tatasta Shakti, and his extrinsic potency, Bahiranga. Uh, and these classifications are based on two verses from the Vishnu Purana. And here we come to a unique contribution that has to be recognized that was made by Srila Jiva Goswami. He made the distinction of these three potencies of the Supreme Absolute, um, he explicitly explained them according to Vedantic philosophy. And we'll unpack this a little more as we proceed this evening. Because for most theists, most people that believe in the Supreme Lord, as a pers- personality, uh, they do not see the distinction between the Bhagavan aspect and the Paramatma aspect. They do not see a clear distinction. 
Now, this Paramatma Sandarbha, which is the most philosophical of all the Sandarbhas that Jiva Goswami is going to present. Um, is is very very crucial to understanding what Jiva what his unique contribution because we we'll see clearly the distinction between between the creator Godhead the maintainer Godhead uh, the Lord within every living entity and Bhagavan Sri Krishna, who is has his own dealings only in the internal spiritual energy. So, although Tattva, the supreme reality, Tattva is only one, uh, it encompasses, of course, all three of these manifestations, and these are not just theoretical. Uh, concepts, but ontological realities. And Jiva, of course, proves that in his Sandarbhas. So, Bhagavan expands his Paramatma, also called the Purusha or the Ishwara, uh, for evolution, sustenance, and dissolution of the phenomenal world. So now we come to the Paramatma Sandarbha and the distinction between the absolute realities manifestations as Paramatma and Bhagavan is relatively unknown and that really speaks to the significance of the Paramatma Sandarbha that we're going to come away from this study understanding there is a distinction between the, the supreme Purusha and the supreme Ishwara in relationship to the Jiva and material Maya, uh, we're going to understand the distinction between that aspect of the supreme and the Bhagavan aspect. And also we'll throw in a little bit of Brahman uh, clarification so that we don't uh, this is just something that Jiva does to make sure that we, we're not thrown off course in our understanding of certain philosophical points put forward in the Shastras. We're not thrown off into the uh, radical non-dualist conceptions. Uh, so he's always clarifying uh, the presentation and showing where uh, that's a completely untenable uh, presentation of transcendental knowledge. So, Jiva Gos, this is one of the geniuses of Jiva Goswami, was seeing the significance of making this available, these clear distinctions available to humanity. Um, so his genius is to clearly define them and enumerate their characteristics, characteristics and function in detail. No other work throws light on this subject so lucidly. Uh, and he 
He, of course, takes the cue for this whole presentation of his first three Sandarbhas from that one verse, Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatvam yash janamadvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. So this was the cue. There had to be some significance in this Bhagavatam's verse clearly delineating these three nomenclatures to that advayam jnanam, that supreme non-dual absolute. So Paramatma, if we look at it, is akin to the to the normal conception of the Godhead, the Supreme Lord. He's the creator. He's the maintainer. He's the destroyer. Um, he's within everyone's heart. He's throughout the creation. And that's generally the most common understanding of the Supreme Lord, his Paramatma. Uh, and the concept of Bhagavan as a transcendent Lord, completely independent of the material manifestation, is, is not, it's, well, it's Guyam. It's secret knowledge. God has his own place. He has his own Leela. He has his own associates. He has his own transcendental Vaikuntha realm, which is non-different from his very self, along with his devotees there. He's his own intrinsic being, complete in and of himself. Paramatma, on the other hand, is the regulator. He regulates the intermediary potency, the Tathasta Shakti, and the extrinsic potency, Bahiranga Shakti, otherwise known as Maya. He's qualified by these two potencies. That's the extent of his domain, is these two potencies. In the material realm. Within the material realm, I mean, that's the Paramatma feature of the Absolute Truth. It's the less complete manifestation of that supreme, non-dual, absolute. So now we'll come to a bird's-eye view of the Sandarbha, the Paramatma Sandarbha. So the Paramatma Sandarbha is going to bring, begin by making evident the distinction between the individual self, the Atma, and the supreme eminent self, Paramatma. And in doing so, it's going to immediately defeat the radical non-dualist conception of Srila Sankaracharya, which equates the Atma with Brahman. And that conception, the, that conception, that non-dual conception of Brahman uh, as put forth by Sankaracharya is based on primarily on one-sided uh, Upanishadic statements like Tattvamasi or Aham Brahmasmi I am you are that Tattvamasi or I am Brahman Aham Brahmasmi but 
Jiva Goswami put forth, puts forth the concept of the distinction within unity, which is achinta, beta, beta, tattva. And that conception of achinta, beta, beta, tattva is key to an under, our understanding of our true self's identity in relation to the complete whole. So you're not going to have a, a, a entrance into a comprehensive understanding of the Supreme Absolute Truth, the Supreme Lord, in any of his aspects. It's not going to be comprehensive and it's not going to be uh, enlightening unless we fully embrace and understand this achinta beta beta tattva, inconceivably simultaneously one and different. Jiva Goswami begins the Paramatma Sandarbha. The first 18 annotators are, de are dealing with the ontology of the Paramatma. What is its nature? What, what are its characteristics? What is, what's the nature of Paramatma? And what's Paramatma's essential function? He, his, So, first and foremost, Paramatma is the source and the shelter of the jiva, the Tathastasakti. He's the internal regulator of every living entity. He's the supreme witness, Chaitrajna, of the field of action, both body and cosmos. And he's the one who knows the representational field of the body in the environment in which it participates. Then Jiva goes on to elaborate upon that. And he uses two Bhagavatam verses to do so from the discussion between Jad Bharat and uh, King Rahugana. Now in these verses, the term uh, Shetrajna is used and it's used and applied to both the Jiva and the Paramatma. But Srila Jiva Goswami, using the Bhagavatam as Praman, he argues that in reality, and in its primary sense, Shetrajna only applies to Paramatma alone, knower of the field of activity. Jiva knows only his individual body. Paramatma is the knower of all bodies, both gross and subtle. Jiva is only a limited knower, Shetrajna, and his knowing is not independent of Paramatma. Thus, Paramatma is primary is the primary reference, referent. What's primarily meant is Paramatma when you hear Shetrajna, the knower of the field. The Jiva is an infinitesimal knower, and Paramatma is the infinite knower. He knows all the fields. And then Jiva is going to go on in this beginning explanation of the Paramatma to explain the Paramatma's three manifestations. Uh, metacosmic, macrocosmic, and microcosmic. So the metacosmic, this big manifestation of Paramatma, of course, is Karnadakshai Vishnu. 
He's the inner, inner regulator of the totality of all jivas and prakriti. Karnadakshai Vishnu. The macrocosmic is Garbhodakshai Vishnu. And he's the inner regulator uh, that expands in un as many forms as there are universes that Karnadakshai Vishnu manifests. And he is the witness and support within those individual universes. And the microcosmic Paramatma feature of Paramatma is Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu. And he's the inner regulator of the individual jivas. These three aspects of Paramatma are also referred to as Sankarshan, Prajumna, and Aniruddha. And along with Vasudev, they constitute the Chatur Vyuha. So Krishna is the original form of Bhagavan, and Vasudev of the Chatra Vyuha is an expansion from that Krishna. So Paramatma is also called Purusha, and he can further be uh, characterized in two ways. So first, there's three ways Paramatma can be. Uh, his different manifestations are there. And then we also have two further categorizations. He is, uh, namely, is the self-endowed with differentiated portions. Self-endowed with differentiated portions. Uh, Vibhi Namsa, called Jivas, and is endowed with plenary expansions, Swamsa, called Avatars. So these are also manifestations of Paramatmas, Shaktis. The Avatar has divine powers and uh, an intrinsic self-identity is God. So there are many av avatars and they are, are have shaktis and they have an identity as the supreme. And the jiva has limited power and they fall prey to the external potency, which induces not a sense of oneness as the avatars have with the Supreme, but rather a sense of separation. Then the avatars are further divided into two primary uh, types, the guna avatars and the lila avatars. This is all within the realm of Paramatma's manifestations. And the guna avatars regulate the three modes of material nature, uh, sattva, rajas, and tamas, and respectively are Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva. So, of course, Vishnu is supreme amongst the guna avatars, and the other two are subordinate to him. Also, it's made mention there that only Vishnu can release a conditioned being from the bondage of Maya. And Jiva will make that clear. Uh, and the scriptures are also classified. 
The Vedas are also classified according to these three gunas. And only the sattvic scriptures bestow the ultimate welfare to humanity. The Sandarbha will go on with an anthology of the Jiva in Anuchetas 19 through 47. It will begin with an, a detailed explanation of the intrinsic characteristics of the pure self, the Atma. And in order to make that available to us uh, through his Sandarbhas, Jiva Goswami is going to rely primarily upon discussion of that subject by Jamatri Muni, a teacher in the line of Ramanujacharya. And in that section, of course, he's going to refute the concept that the the Atma is entertained by the radical non-dualists, the Advaitin school of Sri Shankaracharya. Their view is not supported in Srimad Bhagavatam or in the Vedas. The true Vedic Vedantic position on the nature of the Jiva is Achinta, Veda, Veda, Tattva. This is, under, this is essential to the path of Bhakti, this understanding. Jiva Goswami will proceed to the ontology of Maya in Anuchetas 48 through 55 and in subdivisions after that. He's really going to explain the nature of the external potency, uh, the extrinsic potency, Vahiranga Shakti. Uh, and he's going to make it clear that Maya is a real potency of Paramatma. It's not simply an illusion, as the radical non-dualists would make one believe through their interpretation, or whether we should say misinterpretation, of um, the Veda. So, Maya is not a mere illusion. So, through the agency of Maya, Paramatma, conducts the functions of creation, sustenance, and dissolution. Jiva is going to explain that this Maya, he's going to explain in detail the Maya, Maya has two divisions. Nimitta, Jiva Maya, the efficient aspect, instrumental aspect, and that aspect of Maya is the aspect that deludes us. It uh, obstructs our self-awareness of our self as an Atma. So that's Jiva Maya, by its power of Achinta Shakti. It's, un it's inconceivable. And why is it inconceivable? Well, it's inconceivable because you would think a conscious potency would cer could, certainly could not be diluted by an unconscious potency. And the, the energies within the category of Maya are have no consciousness. So how can Maya overwhelm? Well, it has to be inconceivable. And we'll see how that's inconceivable and what actually that entails. Also, Maya has the Upadana or Gunamaya aspect um, called the efficient aspect. And it manifests the world in all its uh, multiplicity. 
through endless intermixing of the three gunas of material nature. Uh, it's an interesting observation here, an analogy. With its two divisions, Maya operates like a modern manufacturing company that uses the media to advertise its products, generates desire in the minds of consumers, and then makes those products available in the marketplace. So, let's look at the Jiva Maya. It also has further divisions. It has a Vidya, uh, which is a cause of knowledge, a cause of bondage, which has two functions itself, a Vidya has. It has a potency of concealment of our, we don't know what our true self is. It's able to conceal that from us. And it's able to, uh, it has a potency of projection whereby we can identify with things that are actually foreign to our true nature. And it has its vijana aspect, which is a doorway to, uh, a doorway by which we can eliminate the bondage created by avidya. So, it removes the jiva's ignorance of its intrinsic nature, and this can lead to liberation. And it's important to note, and jiva will explain in this Sandarbha, that Bondage, both bondage, avidya, and liberation, release, are not part of the jiva's intrinsic nature. We're not really bound. We're simply illusioned by ignorance, avidya, and we can't really liberate ourselves. Although knowledge will show us a doorway whereby we can attain liberation. And Jiva is going to make it perfectly clear that Vidya, the Vidya that's available within the material realm, only is only a doorway. And it is only Paramatma's intrinsic Shakti, Swarup Shakti, which can actually grant one liberation. So we have to have a pinch of Bhakti for liberation. There's no possibility that uh, we can go to the door and we can knock, but it has to be open from the inside. So without taking shelter of Paramatma or Bhagavan, which again in the absolute sense are the same supreme absolute truth, uh, without taking shelter there, there is no possibility of liberation. And again, it's a broad, it's a broad definition because According to the desire of the spirit transcendental seeker, one of these three aspects of the absolute truth are the priojan. So they're, you know, they're the objectives. The jnanis want to attain Brahman. The yogis want to attain Paramatma. Santa Ras, a reverential uh, beautific vision of the Supreme, 
within themselves. And then you have the bhakta who wants to attain Bhagavan in all of his full aspects or in ignorance of all his full aspects, as the case may be for Leela. So Jiva Maya is, is instrumental in the generation of the cosmos and granting material bodies to the jivas. And it has four major constituents. Time, Kala. Destiny, Daiva. Karma, and uh, innate disposition, Swabhava. So a little bit of explanation. How's the time factor work as far as the Jiva Maya goes? And remember, let's go back. What is Jiva Maya's? functions it's uh, it's the efficient aspect it brings about involvement in the material realm uh, and it, it, it that involvement obscures a appreciation for the true nature of ourself of our being so these are the participants in the creation of that illusion, that jiva maya. Kala, time, uh, precipitates an imbalance in the gunas of prakriti. So uh, there is a balance in the gunas of prakriti when Karnadakshai Vishnu is resting peacefully and he's woken, as we've heard in the last... Sandarva, he's woken by the uh, personified Vedas. And uh, this is one of the aspects of that awakening. Time time starts to, to uh, disrupt that equilibrium, uh, which then evolves into 24 uh, ontological categories of being, tattvas beginning with cosmic intellect and culminating in earth. So time stirs the, the unmanifest material energy by the glance of the Supreme who's been awoken by the personified Vedas. And uh, we also have this aspect of the generating aspect of the Cosmic manifestation, destiny, that's that portion of con karma that didn't completely play out in the, uh, the last manifestation. So that portion of karma which is ready to fructify uh, in the present life is called destiny. Something, whatever, whatever material life what we encounter in one material life is the fructification of uh, yes, manifest. Um, karma uh, is the efficient cause of the modifications of the modes of material nature. And innate disposition, uh, swabhav, uh, and this refers to the subconscious impressions, samskaras, 
which are left by our past actions uh, on the chitti, chitta, which is referred to both as the unconscious mind and or the heart sometimes. So in the heart, there are impressions, or in the unconscious mind, there are impressions, which also are part of the jiva maya, which play out when the manifestation comes about and we acquire a body and those impressions lead us on in this life and uh, further impressions are instrumental in the next life and it just the cycle just continues on is it different than karma yes karma is the playing out of those impressions the interaction within the modes of material nature then you have gunamaya and it's the material cause um, of the creation it consists of subtle elements presentational field vital force uh, empirical self meaning the atma uh, and meaning the egoic atma in relationship with the material energy and 11 senses and five gross elements then the Sandarbha is going to go on in a subsection uh, of this same topic of the cosmic manifestation, the manifestation of Paramatma's uh, energies. So the ontology of Maya is uh, devoted to the cosmos. And that'll be in Anachetas 56 through 81. The relation of the cosmos with Paramatma is elucidated in this subsection. And in this subsection, Jiva Goswami is going to vehemently refute the theory of radical non-dualistic, uh, the radical non-dualists in relationship with the cosmos. Of course, what is their conception? It's merely an illusion. Uh, Vivartavad. So he's going to deal with Again, refuting Vivartamad, the conception that the uh, material manifestation is simply an illusory presentation. And he's going to, in that section, use primarily the Srimad Bhagavatam as Praman. And he's going to make the argument that the cosmos is a modification of the extrinsic potency, Bahiranga Shakti of Paramatma. In other words, the cosmos is a real effect of the real potency of Paramatma, who is the supreme real. And a little bit of explanation will be in order to understand how he's going to do that. So you, you have the radical non-dualists, the followers of Sankaracharya, uh, the Advaita Bod, uh, class of transcendentalists. And one of their arguments, of course, is the misunderstanding or perception in ignorance or low light of a rope being a snake. So, of course, that misconception due to ignorance, the acceptance of a rope as a snake, it evokes real fear 
I mean, you're going to jump back if you go into a dark room and you're going, you see a rope on the floor and you, you project that misconception uh, that it's, you, you're going to have real fear. Uh, so this is an interesting statement in that regard. Vivarta Mar, uh, Vod, this conception of the radical non-dualist, attributes, attributes only empirical reality to the world. What we experience with our senses. Our senses experience the snake. So they only attribute that sense, that sense perception, or in the, in this case, missense perception, uh, to the reality of the world, but not to ontological reality, not that there is a rope that exists in the world, or there is a snake, because their ultimate reality is only Brahman. Everything is Brahman. And they have so many arguments in that regards. But the Vedic understanding is, of course, entirely different. Uh, the cosmos is a, is a modification of one of the potencies of Paramatma, uh, called Bahiranga, the external potency. And Paramatma is like a Chintamani stone. Because we also have to deal, and there's going to be some, some little, more explaining to do in this regard, uh, quite a bit more, and that's dealt with in the introduction, and we'll uh, do that in the next discussion. But Paramatma, as far as relationship to the uh, external potency, Bahiranga Shakti, is like a Shintamani stone. A Shintamani stone can transform iron into gold, but it itself is not modified in any way. It's not like it has to lose any of its own intrinsic potency in order to accomplish that feat. So, Paramatma remains immutable, unchanged, uh, while he impels the Maya Shakti to manifest the cosmos in the different ways that we've just discussed. So that's a partial uh, explanation of uh, the from the introduction. And we'll go on and uh, touch upon the rest of the book. Uh, we've covered uh, an introduction that's taken us up to the 81st Anucheta. There are 110 Anuchetas, I believe, total in the Paramatma Sandarbha. And we'll stop there for this evening. Any questions? So we'll stop there for this evening. Thank you so much for your association.